Mr. Hahn? You fought well yesterday. Your style is unorthodox, but effective. It is not the art, but the combat that you enjoy. The winning. We are all ready to win, just as we are born knowing only life. It is defeat that you must learn to prepare for. I don't waste my time with it. When it comes, I won't even notice. Oh, how so? I'll be too busy looking good. What were you looking for when you attacked my guards? Wasn't me. You were the only man outside the palace. I was outside, but I wasn't the only one. You will tell me who else. Mr. Han. Suddenly, I like to leave your island. It is not possible. Bullshit, Mr. Handman. Man, you come right out of a comic book. You're traveling to another radio show. Broadcast not only of sight and sound, but of mind, mind, mind. A journey into the wondrous land whose boundaries are that of the imagination. imagination. That's the on-air sign up ahead. Your next stop, Afro Nerd Radio. With your guides, Dee Bird, Captain Kirk, and on Grindhouse Saturdays, the uncanny Daryl D. And introducing West Coast correspondent, Miss Claire Linnae. Mind expansion engaged. December 5th, 2018, and this is the Midweek in Review edition of After featuring Captain Kirk and, of course, the uncanny Daryl B. People, I am waiting with bated breath because of the Spider-Man film, the animated film, Into the Spider-Verse. I can't wait. That's next Friday. And then the week after that, we have Aquaman. So there's quite a few things coming afoot. Also, we have the Deadpool PG-13 version of the film. I believe there's going to be additional footage, uh, maybe some jokes referencing Hugh Jackman, maybe an appearance by Hugh Jackman. I mean, there's a lot, a lot of speculation. I would, I would really bet strongly that they're going to have some fourth wall breakage with the Disney Marvel merger deal coming up next month, which, which is supposed to be finalized next month. So even then, whatever we see in Captain Marvel, whatever we see in Avengers 4, uh, even the Spider-Man film that also comes out in 2019, 
I'm assuming you might see some after credit scene. You might see some references to some of the the new IPs that can now be added to the MCU. So there's a lot to unpack. Shang-Chi, the master of Kung Fu, is going to get his close-up, finally, as predicted here at AfroNerd Radio. So without further ado, let's get into our Herb Alt Yuletide Festivus Groove. We're going to do that for about a minute and a half. It's that time of year, folks, so I have to keep it consistent with the holiday spirit. So we're going to do that, and we're going to revisit some topics that we failed to address the last podcast. So there's a lot to really get into. I'm really excited about Shang-Chi. So to be honest with you, we're going to get, dig in deep on that story first, and then we'll go down the line. So let's get to this quick Xmas funk, and then we'll do what we do. Um, all right, you know what? This is, well, hell, this is James Brown. Merry Christmas. I love you. <laughs> James Brown. We'll be right back. Let's groove. It's been a long, long time since you said that you were mine. The best time to play it is that Christmas time. Merry Christmas. You were mine. Can't you see I love you so, and I wanna treat you so right. Can't you see I really need you to keep everything tight? It's been a long, long time since I said that you were mine. I like to say it, baby, at Christmas time. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, I Love You by the Godfather Soul. 
<laughs> James Brown. This is the Midweek in Review edition of Afternoon featuring Captain Kirk and, of course, the uncanny Daryl B. Let's just get into it. Captain, you needed – we're going to do a time jump right now. We're going to go right back to the feud between Joe Tex and James Brown. As alluded to in the recent cartoon of Mike Judge, Tales from the Tour Bus. So we're going to bring you there to break up that fight. Guns are a-blazing. Let's get to it, sir. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. Powerful nerd has me confused with some save the world type nog. I don't do that. Guns are blazing. That's not me. See ya. When I want to be ya. <laughs> I, I got to try hard to remember that story before we close out the show because it's pretty funny. As much as we uh, critique the goings-ons with the hip-hop community, it wasn't as if some of this stuff didn't actually happen during the heyday of uh, R&B and soul. And Joe Tex famously had a feud with James Brown, and it was disc, disc records and gunplay. Not that dissimilar, let's say, Takashi 69 <laughs> and, uh, and what's that cat from Chicago? I forgot his name. Whatever. Chief Keith. <laughs> yeah, Chief Keith. Thank you. Chief Keith. Uh, well, the talent, the talent level is cosmic as far as the difference, but <laughs> Uh, the nog, the nogism was definitely there like 50 some odd years ago. All right, so uh, this gentleman, eidetic memory, maybe mutant ability <laughs> to remember. Dare I say, check out the, the the gene editing, the DNA. We don't know about this gentleman. He has certain abilities. He's part of the Afro Nerd Radio machine, definitely. Uh, I got to give him his T-shirt too, man. He's got a couple of things I got I got to give him for the forthcoming. Um, Schomburg Festival, but I'll probably give it through Donna. Anyway, that's a side note. Um, just letting him know that he has some stuff I got to give him. Anyway, without further ado, <laughs> he is the man. Uh, Daryl B. The Uncanny. I will say it one more time for folks in the back. I get. I put out a post earlier when Dynamite revealed it. If you want to hop on David Walker's Interpretation of Shaft with uh, Bukas Elverly, the one that we touted for months. Cosmetology is having a sale on it. Quality, folks. Don't say we never told you about this book. Don't say you never knew about this book because if you listen to this damn show, freaking it's Shaft. Pick it up. Let's rock. Uh, he also isn't his Frederick Douglass book also out, Daryl? Not yet, not yet. Not it's yet. It's going to be uh, uh, end of uh, December, beginning of of 
31st of January, alongside his Naomi, his Naomi book that he's doing for Bendis' Young Justice line in D.C. So those should be coming out. And and if you're paying attention to Twitter, I put out I put out my books. And as we're doing the show, I will be hitting more and more creators and stuff up with what I thought about them. And and after the show, I will be putting it on the Instagram. Yeah, thank you, Daryl. You know, uh, I think 2019 maybe it's something in the in the water that I think maybe you, me, the captain, I feel more emboldened to really like just do certain things that are just missing. Like D- David Walker is such a talent. I, I consider him a, a, a colleague and or friend. He's definitely a friend of the show. And, um, you know, his, he's a very prolific cat. And it's interesting, very pro-black, whatever that means, you know, because everybody has their own definition of it. But the fact that he's doing this, this, this book on Frederick Douglass, that he has this, this Harlem Renaissance uh, steampunk story, fantasy story called Bitter Root. Um, Sanford Green, who I had a chance to meet at New York Comic Con, you know, I was able to. I even put it on Instagram the the variant cover that's a, that's a homage to Akira, the the famed manga slash anime series. Uh, I mean, it, there's just a lot going on that needs to be highlighted to the nth power for folks to to really imbibe. We cannot have this excuse of there's not enough this and that going on. How come these people aren't doing? How come we're not getting sci-fi? How come we're not getting fantasy? Blah 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 blah. And there's 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 content, content, content. But there's got to be a component that allows for this stuff to actually come out there for you folks to know it. So uh, Daryl's going to do his part on, on Instagram, on our show, YouTube. We're going to have to make it happen. Anyway, um, let's let's talk about this. I, I'm. I'm excited about this. We predicted the need for such a property. I'm talking about Shang-Chi, the master of Kung Fu. It was put out there. It was announced a few days ago. Rather abruptly, out of the blue, no one really saw it coming. But uh, I find it interesting that when, I, when we see the write-up, Daryl, and I want you to take lead on this. When, I, when we see the write-up, they must be listening to Afrona Radio because – I'm seeing the same language as the, some of the stuff that we said would need to be needed to be done with this. Now I'm seeing it in print. Like, duh, just just give us a check and we can help you out with this Marvel problem. Uh, well, DC definitely. DC needs us more than Marvel. So walk us through how you found out about Shang Chi. Maybe who Shang Chi is. Give us your impressions of this news that they're going to do. The Shang Chi, Shang Chi, Master of Kung Fu, um, movie. Oh, uh, uh, okay. For the folks out there, it's very, it's uh, the the description is very simple. Shang Chi is the Bruce Lee of the Marvel universe. All right. Uh, I I I I would say a Chinese secret agent, but. But depending on who's telling the story, that that little factoid gets switched here and there. Um, but his his father uh, ran a criminal syndicate, and it was Yellow Claw. And we'll we'll get on that part later because I I didn't anticipate that tweet I had would blow up, but that tweet blew up 
where, where I, I, I gave, I, get, I did an app for nerds. I gave away, like, free plotting advice for free. I must have been out of my goddamn mind. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, essentially, he, uh, in battling this syndicate that, that his dad runs, he often runs afoul of the Marvel Universe. So he runs into guys all the time, like Spider-Man, Iron Man, Captain America, as the syndicate tries to make their inroads in, or, uh, in like the superhero, i.e. supervillain society, and Shang-Chi has made it his life mission to shut the syndicate down, essentially doing a snake eyes, restore honor to my family by stopping my dad and all of that. So, essentially, it's Bruce Lee in the Marvel Universe. Now, where we were taking it, we were taking it as it, we could spit it off of the Netflix thing or, or maybe True Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. He's an agent, a foreign agent or something like that. It sounds like they, they really are thinking about doing the foreign agent a- angle where, oh, he's, he, he's traveling the world doing this and no villains to be uh, – uh, but – uh, no villains revealed yet, but it sounds like it's going to be a kung fu action thriller. Like, and you know what? Who's going to hate on that? I mean, we all saw the raid. If they if they could get the guys from the raid to do the the fight choreography here, or hello into the Badlands, you know, if they could get those guys to do the fight choreography, we we ain't talking no arrow here, All right? Maybe the Daredevil guys, but uh, this uh, what what Shang Chi is going to be doing. I want to step above Daredevil. We're we're talking Donnie Yang, uh, 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 Sammo Hung, the the Godfather, Jackie Chan. We're talking that kind of fight choreography. Because if we if we're doing Shang Chi, we got to get as close to Bruce Lee as possible. So we better come correct on this, okay? And and. Hey, Marvel, Marvel, step close, step close. Watch the stereotypical analogies here, okay? Please, for the love of God, all right, all right? You did a great job with, with Black Panther keeping those trophy tropes to a minimum, and the film became way more than the film it was shot on. It, it mattered a lot to people. I can only imagine for the Chinese... And, and, and Asian communities of comic book fans, if you nail this right, whoa. Like, just, just line up the Brinks truck at the door. Here's more money. But that, in brief, that, that's, that's what it is. Shang-Chi, Bruce Lee, Kung Fu hits Marvel. And we're not talking Iron Fist Kung Fu. Back to you, Afrinerd. Cap, Captain, because I think your mic, your uh, mic is kind of r- ruffling around a little bit there. Let me pipe you down a little. Um, Captain, your your impressions of this news. What what are your thoughts about Marvel um, going into this territory and, and the way that it was even announced? Uh, Shang Chi gets his close up via Marvel. What are your impressions? Well, sometimes with the the Asian market. I'm not talking about the Asian American. The Asian market, they act funny when Westerners do 
their kind of movies with their artists, meaning which they feel more or less they can do better Asian characters because that's where they're coming from. So sometimes it doesn't take, you know, like Crazy Rich Asians, you know, when it, when it went over to China, no one really watched it. Things that it happens, you know, from that standpoint. Also with China, you got to understand that type of deal. Chinese, the Chinese market, they're very smart. They said, yeah, you'll put a movie in our country, no problem. We get 75%, you get 25%. So a movie does $200 million, America only really made back $50 million. China's making the money. They understand that type of thing. They understand who and what they are. Listen up, Africa, okay? Just listen up. They know what they're doing. Now let's get into this man's powers, all right? We're going to go to Marvel's database. You know me, I always like talking about powers, man. All right? I know Aphromed and uh, Daryl B, this is not for you. But some of you people that, you know, that think you get your universes mixed up and everything else, this is good information, you know, just for your edification. All right, Shang-Chi is one of the greatest martial artists on earth. Having been trained possibly since birth to become the ultimate warrior, Shang-Chi is skilled in various martial arts with a particular specialization in the Chinese martial arts. He has been shown defeating multiple highly skilled opponents simultaneously, as well as superhumans. His great strength and chi allows him to strike with inhuman force, enabling him to break through barriers such as brick, concrete, and iron, withstand physical impacts almost to a superhuman degree, and ease all forms of pain and discomfort. Sound like somebody you know? <laughs> well, wait, wait, here's the kicker, all right? Shang has stalemated Iron Fist in single combat with the two martial artists portrayed as equal, while Black Panther stated Shang-Chi is better than Rand. <laughs> Let's give it a little bit more now. This is key, too. So this, this is key for someone especially like me, but I'm going to read it. Strength level. Shang-Chi possesses a strength level of a man his age, size, and weight who engages in intensive regular exercise. Shang can lift at least twice his body weight or 350 pounds. Through his use of chi, however, Shang can temporarily increase his physical strength to an unknown amount. So that means, that explains already, so if you see him, you know, maybe grabbing up a car and moving it, you can see it's explained already. This is what I talk about. It's explained. You know, it's normal rest. We know it's 350, but, you know, you summons the chi and everything else. This is very important. So, you know, see, so they can run over all over the place with this. Now, for me, as far as this is concerned, a lot of the superhero genre, to me, is a bit stale now for me. Stale. I'm not really interested in it. I watch a lot of things because I do this show here. Now, you know, you have to be abreast of what's going on for my own edification and things of that nature. A lot of things just look so-so to all right. We're not, 11, we're not uh, seven years ago. I won't go all the way back in time. Seven years ago where you could just give me something and I jump up and down. So like Black Panther, that was a twist. You know, those of you who read the book, it's not a twist. But for mainstream audience, that was a twist. You know, to see that whole world and everything else. Uh, the movie, now we got Glass coming. The way that's being set up, it looks like it's a twist, so I'm interested. 
This right here, a little more than a martial arts flick. You know, you put Marvel's name on it, and you could do some things where you don't have to spend a lot of money. You don't have to spend Avengers money. So this, provided they put it out, put it out around like February, March time frame, they can come up with some real serious money with this. You don't have to spend a lot here. You know, you don't have to spend $200, 250000000 million. You know, I think that would be a mistake. But they could do a very good movie with this. There's a lot of... Uh, there's a lot of uh, fight choreographers out there. I know my man Hutch. I met him. He's real good. He's done a lot of movies with these individuals, and he's Asian, by the way. You know, there's a lot of guys you can get. You can make this good. As uh, Daryl said before, the raid guys, that'd be incredible doing it there. And you could take it beyond that because he can summon his powers. So you throw a little special effects and things in there. You could, you could, you could do this pretty good. Pretty good where it's interesting. You know, not just... You're doing Venom, and you're throwing it up on the wall, and everyone goes, "Wee! it's the greatest thing ever, and we know it's really not. This can actually be interesting because it's an Asian character in the lead. It's martial arts. It's also nostalgic. We did all the movies, you know, on Channel 5, running home and watching all that stuff, and even some of these modern-day movies that they have going out here that are pretty good, you know. Yeah, I'm, I'm, this, this seems interesting to me. So, you know, I'm real... I'm looking, actually looking forward to this. Most of the stuff I'm not, Miss Marvel. I'm not really looking forward to that. But anyway, it is what it is. But <laughs> this is something I'm looking forward to. Back over to you, Afflerd. Yeah, uh, I'll try. I'll try not to be um, so, uh, you know, wordy. But I, I have to admit, I'm, I, I'm extremely excited about the Shang Chi thing. Maybe because I, I've been mentioning it for quite some time because of the Iron Fist deal, and I, and I have been saying that. You know, I, I, I realized there were a lot of folks, especially um, our Asian colleagues, and understandably so. Uh, look, we know something about wanting to see yourself on screen, specifically Asian-American colleagues. I, I think um, Asian folk living in Asia, having, Asian, um, ha- having an Asian film industry, whether it's in Korea whether uh, South Korea specifically, whether it's in China, you know, we know the infamous Shaw Brothers Studios, whether it's in, J- in Japan, you know, the, the racial dynamics, because you even see some of the discussions on YouTube when there's, not that YouTube is the end-all, be-all for any of this stuff, but if you were to get a snapshot of interviews with, with um, of, of the local color for those places, talk about in the States is alien to them. So when we when we get all bit out of shape about white uh, yellow facing, pardon me, yellow facing facing, and uh, Scarlett Johansson and Ghost in the Machine and all that kind of stuff, which we understand clearly in in the states, it's not that big a deal from their perspective because they they run their own thing. This is simple and plain. From an American standpoint, it's a little bit different. It's serious business. And reputation is, is what is is desired. So when I think about what this film can represent and the difficulty of the film, it has it's going to be difficult on a number of levels. One, again, China is 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 rivaling America as being the go-to patronage place 
for movie going for moviegoers. It it is up there with the with the states. So now you hear as time goes on, you hear more with more intensity the Chinese market. But you do have to appeal to their taste. So just like what the captain spoke about, crazy rich Asians, which, which did well in the states and in other, you know, in Western culture, did fine. People understood that. But in, it sounds like it's it, it's a paradox. How could crazy rich Asians not do that well? I mean, it really was a clunker in China. But again, it from the Chinese perspective. This is a Western interpretation of Chinese culture. So there you go. That's, that's, that's why that did not work out. So what I'm thinking of, this essentially has to be a redux of Enter the Dragon. Enter the Dragon was a cooperative American film with China. So you, know, you had, you had uh, Weintraub. Fred Weintraub and Raymond Chow as producers on this. It was it was a a cooperative effort between America and China in the development of Enter the Dragon. So there was definitely even going back more than forty years ago, there were Chinese sensibilities that were evident in that film, and that film was a global box office hit. And uh, it, we're still discussing that film today. We are still discussing this film today. Uh, I mean, I'm even going to, I'm going to even, uh, I'll even read this at, from, from Wiki, just to, so, just so you know that I'm not just speaking out of my behind. It's, this is a, under the Enter the Dragon Wiki. The film, which was directed by Robert Klaus, is considered to be one of the greatest martial arts films of all time. In 2004, the film was selected for preservation in the United States National Film Registry by the Library of Congress as being culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant. Among the first films to combine martial arts action with the emerging black exploitation genre, its success led to a series of similar productions combining both genres. The film's themes have also generated scholarly debate about how they reflect the changes taking place within post-colonial Asian societies following the end of World War II. So, again, you're, you're, you're walking into this territory when you are thinking about doing a Shang-Chi, the, the master of martial arts, the master of kung fu. So if, you, if you're going to do this, you've you got to heavily reference that film. I mean, hell, let's not get it twisted. Shang-Chi is an analog of Bruce Lee. And ever since Bruce Lee died, this genre has never been able to gain the success that that icon generated. It, it, I mean, you know, look, we've seen a number of films that, you know, the, uh, the, the martial arts genre, just like black exploitation, as was mentioned, has a very special place in film history, certainly. But Shang-Chi, just like the Black Panther, opened up a door. They said bluntly, once this was announced, 
that they're kind of trying to tap into the same kind of cultural significance that Black Panther did. So this is what that film could actually mean. And already you're, you're hearing almost wholesale Asian involvement, which is, which is what we would want. It's going, to have to, it's going to have to go down that way. So you're going to have to have – and also, again, it might – I hate to keep on making comparisons, but just like Black Panther allowed for a conversation between the African-American and the African, you might have to see a similar discussion cinematically between Asian-Americans and traditional Chinese folk in China. There's got to be a merger of those sensibilities in order for this film to actually work on a global scale. And what Daryl said also, we cannot see hokum, superficial, stereotypical effort. Um, Let me go back a little bit because I could talk a lot on this thing, and I'll just make it brief. Um, The the main villain in in the canon is Fu Manchu, right? Fu Manchu is is the archetypal um, yellow peril Asian villain, stereotypical villain that has been around for centuries, right? So when you're walking into this film, just like uh, Luke Cage had to be straightened out, and I saw this in print, obviously if you're going to touch this thing, you're going to have to severely – it's going to have to be go, going through a rinse. It's going to have to go through the rinse of a lot of, a lot of just stuff that just – it just cannot be. It just cannot go down. It's got to be a modernized, respectful martial arts film. It's got to be updated. No shenanigans. You've got to have a stellar talent. And let me just kind of go around the horn on this one, and then I'll close out on this. The, the gentleman, they already have a gentleman – um, that is of Asian descent, Asian-American gentleman, that's already been uh, connected to um, writing the script, uh, David Callahan. David Callahan, he's already been tapped to write this thing. So now there's a matter of who do we get to actually portray Shang-Chi? And again, Bruce Lee, even if he were alive, would be closing in on 75, 76 years of age. But it, it, how do you get someone... Like a, like a Bruce Lee who was so charismatic, who was who was superhuman in real time. People forget about mar- martial arts. Really, was the closest that that fans could get to seeing otherworldly wonderment on screen. If we're going to keep it one hundred, without the CGI, you know, you had the the stuntmen, the stunt work, you had the martial arts athletic ability. All that was what. You already saw superhuman stuff going on 40-something years ago, courtesy of the Shaw brothers and, and, and other, um, you know, Gordon Liu and all those people, Sonny Chiba, yada, yada, yada. H- how do you channel that without Bruce Lee in 2020, whenever this comes out? Let me, let me go to, to Daryl. How, how do we – is it necessary? Because I'm seeing names like and – and these, look, these actors I really like, you know, St- Stephen Yoon. I like his rise. Lewis Tan has ability. Um, Ross, Ross Butler's another name. I mean, there's a couple of names coming out here, but half of them are like just straight actors. I mentioned Rain. Rain is a pop star, but he did do Ninja Assassin, uh, courtesy of the Wachowskis a few years ago, 10 years ago. 
So I mean, who do you who do you look for? A really good actor or a really good martial artist? And how do you channel a Bruce Lee when we haven't been able to see it? We've been wanting a Bruce Lee level actor, martial artist for forty something years. How do we get that, Daryl? Uh, uh, through a great search, you, folks saw who I wanted. I want. I, I I was going for uh, our boy Alex Maleri Jr. from from Dark Matter. Uh, you know, I, I'm like, yay, he could he could do it. He could do some kick ass scenes. And then I'm thinking about the leads from the raid. Uh, you know, I was like, Donnie Yen may be too old, but. Uh, <clears throat> I, I had plans for him, as people saw, you know. I go, like, I, 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 the, the floor is literally open. And then I got to give it to Ron Soule on, on, on Twitter. He came up with Philip Ning. And I was like, oh, my God. He has the look of Lee. He has the moves of Lee. He may not have his style. That, well, I'll check that. He has the style of Lee. He may not have all of his moves, but, oh, my God, Philip Ning is just about perfect. Just has the look at everything. Folks at home, just look him up. P-H-I-L-I-P-N-G. Philip Ning. Look him up. All right? And one of the first two pictures you'll see off of Google or Bing is him literally in a Bruce Lee stand doing a movie. And it looks almost perfect, all right? So, when I said, when I said that, that I had plans for Donnie Yang and Sin, I was like, okay, Ron already beat me to, to Philip Ning, but if I'm going to do this, I'm going to go all the way with it. And off of Star Trek Discovery, I went, here's how I'm going to swerve everybody. I'm going to make Michelle Yeoh as like Tiger Tiger, the old Wolverine villain, or Superior, who is a Captain American villain, but I'm gonna I'm gonna race bend it a little bit here and make her the head of the hit syndicate. Make her the number one. I'm gonna make Shang's father the number or or or, or her her first in command as the claw. Alright? Essentially paying homage to the the 70s version of them, but I, I'm making that Donnie Yen. I have yet to see Donnie Yen truly be a dastardly bad guy. That's, that's my curveball here. To, to succeed, Philip Ning as Shang-Chi will have to go through Donnie Yen and Michelle Yeoh. So, folks out there, you know, you, you I know you're looking all kinds of ways as as I explain this out loud, but just think about the martial arts royalty right there. Here's the young buck in Philip Ning, and he has to go through Donnie Yen. In case you don't know who Donnie Yen is, if you saw, uh, what was it? What was it? Uh, the, Rogue. The, the last Rogue. Rogue One. He was the Force guy. IP man, I think. And Ip Man. Ip Man. Ip Man. Ip Man. IP Man. Ip Man. <laughs> yeah. Look up on YouTube his fight with Tyson. Ip Man 3. Go ahead and take a look at that. I'll wait. And, and you'll well, see what. Look at the one. 
Oh, look at the one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's real good martial arts in that. Okay. And then Michelle Yeoh, crouching tiger hitting dragon anybody. And mm-hmm. of recent vintage, she is reveled playing the bad, the bad captain, the empress in Star Trek Discovery. So I'm like, let me just turn it a little bit ask you and go like, okay, kid, you're Shang-Chi. You want a real challenge? That's martial arts royalty you got to get past to get your objectives done. Good luck. I mean, listen, as we did $5 uh, kung fu marathon in the theaters and stuff, these were fights we dreamt of. You know, this is, uh, I'm going, like, I want, I want a protector-type fight. I want the raid. Again, folks, if you've never seen the raid, see the raid. Just see the raid, because that is some insanity there, you know? It, that's what I want from this film. That is what I want from this film. You go, like, make James Bond meets Enter the Dragon. Let's do it. And in the in the words of the captain, let's go. Let's do this. Back to you, Afrinerd. Yeah, you know, uh, look, I don't know what, what actor they'll get. I mean, I know, I know Marvel is pretty good. At least their track record so far is pretty good in actually getting the right actor, even if we don't necessarily see it. You know, when, it, when the final product is presented, we usually have to sit back and eat crow and say, okay, he or she pretty much embodies the character as we see it um i guess what what makes the bruce lee connection kind of preternatural is that um bruce lee in real time was almost the master of of, well i'm not going to say kung fu jeet kune do obviously but he had that kind of aura of an unstoppable human being He he was superhuman in real time i have i have uh, several books on Bruce Lee's fitness regimen, and I, and I, I fantasize about he's the closest to, super, to a super soldier that I can think of. I, I mean, you know, bodybuilding, um, I mean, he's not the biggest guy. The guy's like 5'7", like 140 or whatever. But um, bodybuilding magazines to this day reference this guy's fitness regimen. It was, it was, uh, he was an otherworldly once in a lifetime individual. There's just certain people you're just not gonna. I mean, that's what makes it difficult for me, just to have like some, just like some actor. Like I had a lot of respect for for, for uh, Jet Li. I think he was like the closest cat I saw, and maybe Jackie. But Jackie Chan was more humorous. You know, he's very humorous guy. Uh, I remember the Big Boss, not the Big Boss. What was the movie he did? Was it a big? It was ah, oh, I forgot it. Yeah, Big Boss. Was was it the one where he was like uh, uh, his early movies? He did a lot of real heavy martial arts. You know, yeah, he was he really. Bigger, he started doing the other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, that was one of those Rochdale theaters <laughs> mm-hmm. movies. I, I I kind of remember, but anyway, um, there are a few cats, a few cats that I remember that had kind of otherworldly talent. And Bruce Lee was like at the top, and that that would really put a, a, a nice little little sheen on this thing. So, but when they show the trailer for Shang Chi, whatever, it's gotta be it just 
man, I can't, I can't even explain it. I mean, because look, it still has to be a superhero movie. So it's it's, it's got to put martial. It's got to it's going to revitalize or it has to revitalize the martial arts genre. Potentially, it could do that. Asian cinema on some other level, Asian American and Asian. I mean, it almost really is a great. It's a, it's a great bookend to Black Panther. What Black Panther did is what this movie could potentially do if done the right way. Because really, a- after Bruce Lee's death, we've, we've seen a smattering of martial arts films in the, in the modern era. Um, we know that Wesley Snipes is a martial artist. We saw martial arts in his films. Um, you know, in the, in the 80s, you, you had... Um, uh, why am I forgetting his name? Chuck Norris. You know, Chuck Norris is really the reason why Chuck Norris is, is who he is is because Bruce Lee died. You know, so martial law. I, I was looking. I was looking that up recently. I think I, I somehow I was uh, when Daryl mentioned Samo, Samo Hong. Samo Hong. Yeah, um, and who's like sixty-five or something? He's older. I, but he's I think still the, Yeah, he's still big. Well, in two ways. Well, in one, he's big. Yeah. But. But um, I think I was actually looking looking him up before I even heard the announcement. So maybe I, something was going on in my brain that maybe it was time. I, I happened to look up Samuel Hung and Arsenio Hall and Martial Law in the uh, late 90s, that TV show that lasted for like two seasons. Anyway, I, well, let's get off of this thing. You know, I'm, I'm, I must be excited because I'm blathering about it. Me, I, I hope it, me, I hope it does me, well. Can I interject? <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Well, in the words of Don Yen, I heard Don Yen say this on the interview. He said, real martial arts does not look good on the screen. So when you watch martial arts movies, he says, you're doing long movements that you would not do in a fight. You get your ass kicked with that stuff in the fight because it would take you too long to hit the opponent and everything else and get in those type positions. That's essentially what he's saying. But what does that really mean? That means as... The person playing this, to get realism, they have to be a martial artist to really get it right. They got to be a martial They don't have to be a great martial artist. They need to be a martial artist. And then they need to be a good actor. That's what he was really trying to say. You know, when you bring in someone there that doesn't have any martial arts skill and you cut around and they cut it, so a lot of things are not done right. And it takes you a lot longer than that way. When you have a person who has studied martial arts for a very long period of time. They don't necessarily have to be great, but they are martial artists. They can flow and they can go in and we can get a lot more realism with what's going on. You know, so I think that's the key. That's somebody I definitely know. That's why also Jackie Chan, he has a school in China where he actually, you learn martial arts, but he also trains you to do martial arts for the movies also, which is different, again, from a real fight. Real fight is going to be something entirely different. You know? So, I think using that information, and they got a lot of guys that could do this, too, over there in China. They got definitely a lot of guys. They got a couple of here in America, too, that they're okay martial artists, but they have to have the acting capability to sell it so you can believe this guy. You know, it's nice to throw a kick. It's nice to get down all the choreography and things of that nature, but do I believe this guy? And that's when you get that combination, then there you go. Now you got something. You throw that person out there. And then we're set to go with this from there. 
That's it. And you got the Marvel name on it. People are going to see it. There you go. End the story. Yeah, Back over to you after that. Real, real quick, you know, I'm, I'm looking at saying again, this saying, again, it must be kismet because, you know, I mentioned Raymond Chow's name. I, I, I'm surprised I didn't – maybe I glossed over this. Raymond Chow, who was part of the, um, the Golden Harvest Film Company, the founder of the Golden Harvest Film Company, he died last month. Now, the reason why I meant now, most of the biggest names coming out of the martial arts film genre come from Golden Harvest and come from Raymond mm-hmm. Chow. And how is it I didn't know that Raymond Chow died a month ago? And this, guy was a, this guy, Raymond Chow, is, is huge. Raymond Chow is huge. So for that name to, like, not, I mean, for me to kind of not know that. I, I, was that, did you know about that, Daryl? That Raymond Chow yeah. died? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it seemed like it would. It seemed like it was bigger. Bigger. It would have been made a, a bigger notice because of his death. Uh, well, for folks that that don't know the name, Golden Harvest, that 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 company, or actually, it started as a ballet troupe. Believe it or not. So uh, there is a great Showtime documentary that was uh, narrated by Samuel Jackson, where he explored Kung Fu cinema, its beginnings and all that, and Golden Harvest and Mr. Chow take up a good chunk of the middle as they, they profile their rise along the, alongside of uh, Jackie Chan, Sammo Hung, and, and Bruce Lee. They, they profiled them going up. I will, uh, during the next musical break, I will look and see if I can find the title of said documentary, but it was, I did remember seeing it on Showtime, and the narrator was Sam, uh, Samuel Jackson. So it, it, it's a great all-encompassing uh, retrospective on the, the, the Wu-Tang, uh, Ninja... Uh, uh, karate films that guys like us grew up with in the, the the 80s and 90s, and and now you see this this new crop of, of folks just taking it and doing stuff that those guys didn't even think of, you know, <laughs> just just crazy stunts involving guns, knives, buildings, cars. Soccer balls, they, they they have taken this to a whole new level. So that's what we want from Shang Chi, y'all. That's what we want. Back to you, Afrinus. Yeah, the movie I was thinking of, it wasn't the Big Boss. The, the one I was familiar, the one that I became familiar with, as far as the talent of Jackie Chan, was the Big Brawl. The Big Brawl was the movie that um, actually Mako. Now we know Mako as as of Japanese descent. Um, who was also a phenomenal actor, who we, who many may recognize as having, there was like a um, a scene where he was doing a standoff with Bruce Lee in uh, the Green Hornet series. But Mako was a was a well renowned Japanese um, actor of Japanese descent, and he just so happened to have been in the Big, big Brawl. But Big Brawl again was one of those uh, American. Chinese combo films, uh, you know, a joint American Hong Kong film. So uh, I would suspect, and I'll close out here. I would suspect that if they, if that Marvel and this is Disney now, 
And Disney has an excellent relationship with China. They just got to go into a, they got to go dig deep creatively have make this a, obviously damn near 98% all Asian production. Asian American okay. and Asian uh a uh, Chinese to ensure that the cultural component is on point. And let's put it this way, we already seen the the uh the choreography talent coming out of China to begin with with their films anyway. If you have Marvel in combination with 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 what they already have been able to produce, it should be quite stellar. All right, uh, Afro Nerd, the documentary I was talking about, the art of action. Martial arts in the movies. It was released 2002, and actually the whole thing is on YouTube. So that it's on YouTube, so you guys don't have to pay for it. But yeah, and the guys we talk about: Sammo Hong, Ang Lee, Jackie Chan, John Woo. They all they all give personal recollections back as the the art form grew. So there you go. Yeah, you know, maybe maybe they would have to, you know, I mean, unfortunately, that's the way America works now, is that maybe they would have to get, like, all of the stellar talent, like, the, the way there was such a cadre of black American and African talent to do Black Panther. Like, they had half of the, uh, of the uh, African acting elite doing Black Panther. You might have to have a commensurate deal with Shang-Chi. I'm thinking you would. Anyway, we, we'll have to revisit it. You, you could, you could, it's a lot to unpack with this film, what it could potentially do, and I, I, I'm excited about it. I'm, this, I've been predicting, predicting this movie. I, really, I, I need this movie <laughs> to, do, to do well, to do well. All right, enough of me blathering. Again, once we, it's the Midweek in Review edition of Afternoon Feature Captain Kirk. We're going to still keep things on a pop culture um, – Topically, pop culture. Uh, let's go to this Daredevil thing, man, because we didn't, we didn't really address it. So we found out Daredevil has been canceled. Uh, Daryl, going back to you again, what does this all mean? It's kind of, we're getting a cryptic thing now that, well, Netflix canceled Daredevil, not Disney Marvel. What do you gather from that? It has a place to land. I. I told you guys when, when Luke Cage was going bye-bye, okay, well, get ready, because Daredevil, Jessica Jones, and Punisher, after their seasons, are going to follow it right out the door. That's what I said. And I wasn't, oh, I didn't have no insider information, but the fact that on the, 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 the Iron Fist gets released, okay, and it's getting praised. And you, you volunteer the information that, well, Iron Fist is done and Luke Cage is done. Right off of praise, you tell us that, oh, it's done? Why would you shoot yourselves in the foot like that? It would make no sense for them to keep Daredevil, Jessica Jones, and Punisher after that, right? So, folks, again, oh, oh my God. Oh, oh, Guys, there's Disney play right over there. There's Disney play right over there. And here's another thing. We've said it on the show several times. Disney has some interest in Hulu. So for all of you guys worried that, oh, my God, 
it's not going to be on Netflix anymore. Even if they don't put it on Disney Play right away, it's going to be on Hulu. They're going to just gather it over there. Try to steal some of Netflix fans as they take it off. To go, well, they took it off of their thing. You see how they're playing. They got their own properties now. Come over to Hulu for a little while while we get ourselves together. You never know. It's big business. This is boardroom type thing. This is contract room type thing. That's good. Usually when that happens, the fan gets left at the wayside, and then the only way the fan gets back involved is getting, having to pay more money to see their stuff. That's just facts, people. Back to you, Afrin. Uh, let, let me take down. Your mic is kind of moving around. All right. Um, wait, is that you or is that? Who is that? Okay. Captain. Your your thoughts about this Daredevil being canceled and you know will we see the the character? I'm hearing something now saying that Daredevil was one of the most popular shows on Netflix. Period. That it was more popular than we, what we were led to believe. Well, here's the thing. I got Netflix and I got Hulu. 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 That's the Hulu, only two. Yeah. Yes, Hulu. That's the only two that I'm paying for at this given time. And we said here a couple of months ago that the streaming wars have begun. Now, these properties have been shown to get observers, meaning which people watching it. So, in my opinion, it's going to land somewhere. It's just what do you have to pay in order for you to go see it? It's a war going on right now. As they say, it's a war going on outside, you know? So you got a little war booted. It's going to get a little bit stronger, you know? Everybody is, is grabbing and trying to take down the monster, Netflix. They're getting too big, getting too powerful. We can do this over here. We don't need them. So let's see how it shakes out. You know, you may end up paying a little bit more for a few things. You know, but it's going to have to, for me, in order to get, just even get one more, it's going to have to be worth it. It's not so much a money thing. I can afford a lot more. You know, I can afford to probably get three more services if they're banging you $8, $9, you know, a month. But do I want to? Do I want to be bothered with that? You, you got to offer me something to make it worth it. I'm not going to cancel Netflix and Hulu. You know, I'm locked in with that. I keep, I'll keep that there. I go there and watch my Star Trek sometimes, my old Star Trek. They got some things there that I do. From time to time, I don't feel like watching regular TV, so that's all right. You know, it's worth it to me. Now, what can these other individuals offer? These other streaming services offer, except for just one or two, you no know, character, you know, series that I look at and I say, oh, it's okay. I really don't have to see it, so I could see it through another means. You know, I'm just saying. So I'm just watching it. And seeing how it's going to shake out. Should be interesting, to say the least. Back over to you, Afternoon. Yeah, you know, just as a side note, um, I think Daryl might even find this interesting as well, uh, to our chagrin. You know, this Venom movie might end up being a billion-dollar movie. That's it. Or clo- That's it. You know, you know what I'm saying? It, it, I mean, <laughs> okay, first of all, <laughs> let, let, yeah. that's the best. So, because right now it's at $845 million. And that's where it is now, right? Now a new 
a new story comes out now saying that Venom movie granted extended box office run in China. So they even extended the time. They're extending the time for this thing in China because it's still doing so well over there. So what does that tell you? So, I mean, extended time means this is going to be $900 million film. Closing mm-hmm. damn, near a bil- damn near a billion for a movie that really wasn't that good. I mean, I was entertained, but if there was any chance that Sony uh, is going to get rid of this thing, we were hoping that this is just like some kind of um, tolerance on our part that, okay, if, if we just have to tolerate Sony and eventually they'll see the light of day and they'll get rid of this thing. They'll give it up. I don't think so. Matter of fact, this is more, more uh, you know, if you're going to be really quanti- quantitatively, it's more successful than, than uh, Spider-Man. Because Spider-Man movies cost a lot more than, let's say the, the, the production on this film was like $110 million. They went fairly cheap to do Venom, to get, a, 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 to get a, almost a $900 million payday. And the Spider-Man films, they're not cheap. I mean, they still make money. It's still profitable. But Venom at this point is actually more profitable than, than, than the last Sony run of Spider-Man. And this is a Spider-Man villain. I can't even call this. I can't even call this. Let me tell you something. It shows something. But we can't do it based on one movie. We've got to see a couple of more movies along this line, really, to... Send up and put it in a box, put it in a paradigm. But at a glance, at a glance, and that's all this is. Because remember now, Rotten Tomatoes panned it. Most of the geeks panned the movie too. So there's a difference between Rotten Tomatoes slash the geeks, nerds, blurds, and general audience. As I said before, general audience with a good portion of this stuff, not all, not all. Not all. A good portion of it, though, you could just throw up a little something-something on the screen. Whee! Best thing they ever saw. So where is the pressure on the production houses, screenplay writers, to come correct when you got stuff like this happening? That's where I am right now. For me, for me personally, that's where I am right now. There's no pressure. Because you can go ahead, yeah, we'll just throw it over. It's okay. It's not really that good. We could have made it better, but, eh, it don't matter. We're going to make our money. And they knock it out the park. You see? It's there at a glance. You have to watch a couple of more. It's like, even though it's a different type of movie, but it's still blockbuster, like Jurassic World. You know? I thought the movie was horrible. Fans loved it. There's nothing to the movie. And that's why sometimes you got to put aside your sensibilities and just give the dummies, <laughs> the transgenic chips, what they want. Can't overthink some of this stuff, man. You really can't. You really can't. When it comes to making money, when it comes to making money, that is. You know? We all know when you see a good movie, when you see a great movie, when you see something that's really solid. That's different. But when it comes to money sometimes, and I would say not even sometimes, a lot of times, not all the time, but a lot of times, not all the time, sometimes you can't overthink it. That's all. Back over to you, Afro Nerd. 
Yeah, you know, just to, just to, I guess this might be in uh, 1973 money. I'm just kind of looking over. I'm still stuck on uh, Enter the Dragon. The budget for 1973 um, was 850,000. Do you believe that? It, it was 850,000 for the production budget for uh, Enter the Dragon, and the box office was 90 million. That's crazy. That's crazy. I'll have to do the the math on what that means um, when you factor in inflation, but I suspect eight hundred fifty thousand in nineteen seventy three was probably an equivalent of maybe seven million, something like that. So you get to factor that ninety million was probably half a million, half a half a billion, something like that. I'll go. I'll go through the numbers when we take a break. Uh, what that means as far as uh, inflation, but 850,000 to 90 million is crazy, and that was in '73. Okay, you know what? Let's let's take a, let's take a break. Um, when we come back, uh, there's a few other topics that we didn't really get a chance to talk about. You know what? Actually, I want to I want to stay on. No, let's. I want I want to go to a more uh, kind of a somewhat serious topic with China actually, and then we'll re- we will revert back to something I wanted to talk about before and didn't get to. And I think Daryl might be able to uh, dig his teeth into this. We're going to talk, up, talk about China's gene editing program. I find that interesting, like the whole eugenics thing, how that's a sci-fi movie come to real life. And coincidentally, the Chinese scientist that developed the idea of, of uh, gene editing, he has disappeared all of a sudden. No one knows where he is. I mean, that's what, that's how they get down over there in China. So uh, he, you know, announced this ability to essentially create designer babies. Now all of a sudden we can't see him. Now he disappeared. We'll talk about that, and then we'll, we will revert to a topic that's purely self-indulgent. Stories can we think of collectively? Just We're just shooting the S right now. What stories can, can you think of that have yet to be explored in print, in comic books? Like what, what would you like to see that you, ha- you have not seen? Not even, not even as a movie. I mean a movie, you could, you could mention the movie, but I'm talking about just in print, something that you'd like to see, some, some kind of storyline, a story idea that you think would be worthy of exploration, image, DC, Marvel, whatever. All right, so – Let's go to another quick Xmas groove, and then we come back. Um, well, we'll get it in. This is that you, Santa Claus, Louis Armstrong. Two minutes. We'll be right back. Is that you, Santa Claus? I'm preparing for some Christmas sharing, but I promise to be Hang in my stocking, I can hear the knocking. Is that you, Santa Claus? Do it stop out, ain't the slightest pop out. Run my packing job. Who's there? Who is it? Stop for a visit. Is that you, Santa Claus? Are 
and slipped it under the door. When the holiday, I put that big problem, I made it feel like Charles. Yeah, my, my, oh, me, my. Kindly, will you reply? Is that you, Danny Shores that we know 
that, that we know what they're talking about or we know to be true. Um, look, they have, their, they have their own propaganda machine. It's a communist country. Um, so we don't know what's going on, right? But this, I paid note to this because it was pretty big news that they were essentially – the news came out that essentially Chinese scientists have been able to develop – one specifically who is now missing for some reason. They successfully threw the CRISPR technology – which is an acronym, C-R-I-S, P is in Peter, R is in Randy, through the CRISPR DNA sequencing. They've been successful in, in being able to edit genes to the point that they can, can essentially design a human being. So, look, we read comic books. We're into T'Challa, Steve Rogers, and all that kind of stuff. And Steve <laughs> – and, and – uh, you know, Steve Majors or whatever, uh, well, uh, Steve Austin as Lee, Ma- Lee Majors as Steve Austin. So uh, this is getting into a dystopian present, not a dystopian future, a dystopian present. So, I mean, the implications, look, being a person of color, specifically, specifically black people, and, and also the fact of who we have in, as president, where – Race is quite topical and making distinctions between the races, something that we thought we would have hoped that we would be behind that. And eugenics is, is, a, is, is, a, is a big deal. Hell, hell the, one, of the, one of the leading eugenics laboratories is in Cold Springs Harbor, Long Island, not that far from where we are broadcasting. So – some of the, the darker moments in, uh, of eugenics, the Nazism, the Nazis were, were proponents of eugenics. Charles Lindbergh, you know, the, the, the famed, the, the famed um, aviator, he was a proponent of eugenics and a Nazi sympathizer. I mean, there's a lot to unpack here. So, Captain, this is, this is your foray. You're into this kind of stuff. What are your thoughts about, A, this disclosure of <clears throat> whether it is true or not that they were successful in actually being, being able to design a child? I mean, that, you know, making a perfect human being, because if you're able to we, – we knew within the last decade or more that there has been a, that there has been a success in decoding the gene code. That's one thing. Dr. James Watson, who I've mentioned on the show a few times, who was also one of the leading scientists from the uh, from the um, Cold Spring Harbor Laboratory I just mentioned. Now we're going one step further and say, okay, we can decode the genes, but the sequencing of genes to ensure that this person is a certain height, this person has a certain musculature, this person has a certain level of intelligence. Now it's less about being in God's hands and now in the hands of a scientist who says or – a, or a mother and father who want to design a family the way you design a Cadillac. What are your thoughts about this and the fact that the scientist is missing? Well, here's the a, here's a thing. Here's the thing. We've we got to back up a little bit talk about the rich people. Rich people right now, allegedly, theoretically, potentially, 
they're upset that though they have billions of dollars, that they're dying at the same time as the person, middle-class person, not the poor. The poor don't live as long. Middle class, upper middle class person. So this is a problem for them. You know, Google scientists, they're looking for ways of, you know, extending lifespan and everything else. So they're combining CRISPR technology and nanotech te- technology. Nanotech actually looks promising. The CRISPR, not so much. And I'm going to explain why. This is where these scientists are F-tards. Now, why do I know something like this? Because I'm a liar. You know, I'm a pseudoscience hellwelder, you understand, which is really exotic physics. You know, that's a whole different thing. They don't know anything about. What happens, and, it, and if you were scientifically stuck, uh, savvy, you could understand this. They put out papers on it, the CRISPR technology and things of that nature. You could read it. When you alter your, a person's genes, they go into their nucleus and everything else, and you begin to alternate alter it, there's something that begins to happen. What they found happens. The cells go down the nonlinear dynamic pathway. What does that mean? Simply put, it's chaos theory. When it goes down all the stages, it gets chaotic. What is it? When a cell gets chaotic, what does that mean? Anybody? Anybody? Cancerous. Because there's nothing that's controlling the dividing of the cell. The original cell is controlled by something. So it gets cancerous. These scientists can't figure out because they're more. I'm going to help them out right here. I'm going to help them out. So what does this mean for their anti-aging, for the rich? They will inject certain cells certain CRISPR technology to make the telomeres within your cells continue, continually divide like a young person. A telomere is a compound structure at the end of a chromosome. As you begin to get older, they do not divide as well. They found in cancer, you know, when a cell is cancerous, it's immortal. So they're trying to figure that out too. So, but back to the point. The problem is, there's something called, which here in America, this is why they can't figure it out. You go to Wikipedia, it's pseudoscience. But according to Russians, it's not pseudoscience. But let's get into it. Molecular biologists at Oxford came up with the concept of a morphogenic field that switches our DNA on and off to manifest particular traits. The book is called The Leopard That Changes Spots documents their work. MI4, the British Thought Police, that's why I tell you they don't like me, did not like the impl- implications. So these biologists were branded heretics and lost their fundings. You notice I talk about heretics a lot. So when you input something into a DNA of the cell, you need the morphogenic field, hence which does not exist according to Western scientists and most of the other scientists except for the Russians, but the Russians buried the research underneath Stalin because they found it was a threat. That's why the Russians are stupid, you see. They got all this great technology, but they take their scientists and they throw them in the hay, they give them Thorazine, and then they make them, they high IQ scientists, and they break them down to a, a normal person, then they can't work out the equations. 
You know, the average people can't work out the equations. We know that already. So why are you doing that to your scientists? Because you're stupid. So simply put, in order for them to fix this, and they eventually will, but that'll probably happen in about 60 years from now. It's not going to happen now. They're going to figure out that you need to, these cells that you're putting in, CRISPR technology, it needs to be linked into the morphogenic field. First, you have to realize the morphogenic field actually exists because there's something that controls these cells. And then once you figure that, you could edit out cancer via the morphogenic field, meaning which the cell is not allowed to go cancerous because you could edit it out via the morphogenic field. Now, this is more, more advanced than them at the given point, you know, but they'll eventually get to this stuff about 60 years in the future. Now, this is not going to be for poor people. Never is. You understand? This longevity scientist where they want you to live for 1,000 years, that's not for poor people. That's for rich and the upper, upper middle class. That's about all the people that's going to get this stuff, you know? So, so it's not just about race. It's about class. That's what we're dealing with here. So the same thing happens here. So let me give you the example again. You take a 60-year-old person, and you go ahead and say, as I said, the nanotech is very promising. You inject them with the nanotech, help things heal up, and you go with the CRISPR technology. Then after a period of time, they look like they're 40. Everything is good. And then seven, eight years into it, they got cancer all over their body that they cannot get rid of. You see, so they end up what they call effing themselves. You see, and they know this to be true. I'm not making up anything. So once again, scientists, you have to be able to link the CRISPR technology into something that does not exist from your standpoint. That's why you don't know what you're doing. So you're playing around. That's why every time you try these things, even when it's successful, you see eight, nine years later, the, the participants die. <laughs> you're actually much better at cloning. So you don't know what's going on with the process. Now, I put it in the newest fit, you may figure it out in 40 to 60 years. You understand? Now that I put it in the newest fit. Once again, how do I know this? Now, I was instructed only go half a step or a step ahead of what you see happening now and always use their material. So I use the Oxford's material, people that the heretics at Oxford, for the morphogenic field stuff. So that's according to them, the people that went to school at Oxford that got branded heretics. So I'm going maybe a step and a half. I'm actually going a little too far, you know, with their CRISPR technology. So now, specifically talking about the baby, you know, anything could happen in a communist country. Also, it could have happened, someone from the United States could have went over there and snatched him up. Because allegedly, theoretically, potentially, inductively, the United States is growing embryos right now as we speak. Remember, the military is 30 to 70 years ahead of general population science, meaning which they're 30 to 70 years ahead of what Neil deGrasse Tyson tells you is true and not true, okay? So allegedly, theoretically, potentially, inductively, the military, allegedly, is supposed to be growing militaries, I mean, military, I mean embryos, specific DNA alterations also, to grow up into regular humans that have super strength, super speed, stamina, psychic powers, things of that nature. Okay? That's supposed to be happening right now. 
I don't know how successful it's going to be because they're going to have the same problem with the cells. There you go. You already know they can grow an embryo in the lab. That's nothing. You know, so there you go. That's the whole thing. So back to the, the Chinese scientist once again. He could have been snatched up by anybody. He could have been snatched up by even the U.S. military. He could be snatched up by China, you know, anything when it comes to this. Back over to you, Afro-Nerd. Let's go to the great and uncanny Daryl V to get his thoughts. I'm curious about what he may think because, again, um, as science fiction aficionados, whether it's in print, whether it's in, uh, in cinema, this kind of stuff has always been hinted at with in, the, in the Americas. And as I said, Nazis have played with this. Um, even American scientists have played with the idea of eugenics and, and uh, using your genes through betterment through genes. But now, this is the first time they actually came out and said it. Oh, yeah, we have the ability edit genes to get a, resi- a desired result. So what are, you, Darryl, what are your thoughts about this technology? What does it really mean, especially considering where we are now with Trump and all the racial implications and the, the quote-unquote immigrant, immigrant problem? But w- what do you think about just what this, if it's true even, from, that the Chinese well, developed this technology? Well, firstly, there's a show on sci-fi on right now. It's been going through. It's one of them special event shows called Night Flyers. Me and Cap got into a discussion with a friend of ours, Tatiana, about it last night. And a couple of the characters are genetically augmented. You know, bred to be bigger, faster, stronger, or bred to have innate communication with this ship. And it's for for uh, Stargate Universe fans, if if you like it with a cross with a 2001 Space Odyssey with a dash of Event Horizon, yeah, this is a show for you. That's related to this. I'm gonna go another sci-fi franchise. What this reminds me of is Gundam. The Gundam pilots were genetically uh, engineered, genetically altered, so they could handle the stress of flying the giant machines, so they could handle the stress of working in space, so they could handle the stress of space exploration. And what that led to was a lot of resentment from normal humans. So, it, so those, uh, those genetic people made formed their own planet-owned federation called Zeon, and eventually they got into a war with Earth, and, and that's the crust. About 90% of all, the, of all the Gundam anime series is the crust of that, that racial hatred, that genetic code uh, uh, fighting stuff here. I don't think we're responsible enough for this tech yet. Sure, our intentions are nice, or uh, yeah, we could get rid of cancer. We could we could like get rid of dis- some disabilities. We could already hear from other quarters. Well, you know, I really don't like her family's nose. Can we tailor it to for my side? And her eye color gotta be this. And I want him to be taller than I was, so could we tamper where it becomes a vainglorious project instead of a noble project? As a human, we are not 
at the mora- uh, moral stability or responsibility yet to be here where we could do this. Okay, I'm not going to bring up the Michael Bay movie, but Michael Bay did a movie on this. (laughs) Just to let you folks know, you youngsters out there, Michael Bay did a movie involving clones and uh, uh, and how and 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 that kind of stuff. Just to let you guys know, okay? You you probably told the truth on that one. It actually may be his best movie, actually, if you all things considered, <laughs> with That's Ethan Hawke and uh, Ethan Hawke, and I forget who the 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 actress was. Scarlett uh, Johansson. We talking about no, the island? The island? It's the, the island. Yeah. Oh well, yeah, it was ScarJo. Yeah. Yeah, my, that was that was uh, Ewan McGregor and oh, Scarlett okay. Johansson. All right, mm-hmm. I thought. I thought it was in the city. I, I had that. But, yeah, the island, yeah. You you see a lot of questions that they opened in Pandora's box. And it was not even like a month later, all of these now studies and experiments were being leaked out. Like, yeah, we have the technology to try it. It's still in the, the testing phase. Well, uh, it looks. It, it looks like the Chinese are way past the testing phase now, you know. So, so all I, can say, human. Yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, all I can say is, uh, humanity, good luck, because anytime you mess with one of the fundamental forces of nature, and this is life itself, and human life, as it were, you know, you also open up other doors that we were not meant to open yet. Nor do I think we ever should open them. It's a complicated issue because you could see all the benefits if it's done correctly, if it's done with the purest of motives. But we're human beings, you know, pure motives and us. Right to you, Abner. What if the governments come out and tell you, that humans are nothing more than transgenic chimps. They were they were actually made and brought into being. What if the governments come out and tell you that? I would ask for the empirical proof A and B that just stop needling my tree in my life and let me live on until I die. <laughs> that's that's how I would. I, I, let's not play games any longer. If I'm actually this, which I've railed against all my life, I am not that. I am not no goddamn monkey. I am not. If that came out, then leave me alone. I won't F with you. Don't F with me. Let me die in peace. There you go. You may be surprised what these people eventually tell you. That's all I'm going to say to you. Okay. <laughs> to you that. All right. After John. Okay. All I want to do is unfreeze me, 2056. Have a, give me the injection. It is what it is. I'm ready for this. Yeah, that yeah that worked out so well in demolition, man. So it is what it is. <laughs> I'm not afraid. Yeah, I'm not make sure, sure they unfreeze you with someone rich, though. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's the whole thing. Hey, come on, man. <laughs> This is a rich man's game right here. Yeah, I know. 
That's the unfortunate part. It's not like look. Matter of matter of fact, show you how 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 wealth works, man. I was at a uh, I was I had to go to the New York City, the Manhattan, uh, yesterday on business, and I had to park away from from this uh, from the, the the meeting. You know, I, I used um, I actually drove, so I drove and I parked at a um, uh, Manhattan parking facility, and I'm looking. You know, so I, when I get my car back. As I'm waiting for my car, I'm looking at another. I'm looking at another car, and I'm looking at this thing. I said, "This car looks like looks like a Corvette, but then it's not a Corvette." So I get close to it, cordoned off. You know, it's got it's actually got um, you know it's sectioned off where you really can't touch it in the garage. So I, I said, okay. what, "What the hell?" So what the hell? So I look at it closely. It's bad as you know what, charcoal gray, not a Corvette. And it says it, it says it's a Porsche 918. So I said Porsche 918. So I look up this the value on a Porsche 918. That car is like is a million dollar car. <laughs> I said, I mean literally the the range of the car, the low end is eight hundred ninety thousand. The high end is like one point seven million. And this guy has it parked in the garage in, in the New York City garage. Midtown Manhattan. I, you know, you gotta be, you gotta, you, you can't even be, you can't even, yeah, you can't even, yeah, it might be, because you, you can't be, you gotta be close to a billionaire to afford a million dollar car. Even a millionaire, that's right, have problems. That's right. With, you, you can't just be a guy that's worth like five or ten million dollars. That's right. I, I don't, I don't even think you could be a hundred million dollar guy and have a million dollar car comfortably. <laughs> You gotta be half a billion, two fifty, three hundred million plus off the jump. Anyway, so what you're saying is there are there 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 are there is a place where there is a playground for the rich. And and it actually mm-hmm. as this story as this story unfolds, the the wealth you, you hear you hear murmurings of the wealthy being able to t- take advantage of this stuff. Mm-hmm. This is this is not a poor man's game. Even you know couples who want to get together and 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 have a child free of disease, hyper intelligent, hyper athletic. I mean, it's, it, it is essentially creating a Steve Rogers. It is now now now, now imagine you see you, now imagine you, you see you made a very interesting point. Now let's say you're a billionaire, right? Like Bill Gates who could drop a billion dollars, and you tell this guy, let's say they got it right. You're not worried about the cancer. You're not worried about it. Everything is right. And you say, okay, set up your lab over here. I want you to do this for 10 people. You pay for the guy's lab. Maybe the lab costs $20 million, $25 million, and you give him a billion dollars. That's it. You see what I'm saying? That's it. You've lived for 1,000 years. <laughs> Meanwhile, everybody else going in the ground between 70 to 100, and it's worth it. It's worth it for that. That's a good deal. I paid a billion dollars. Yeah, man, man, man. Come here, a thousand years, man. How many lifetimes I got out of that, man? The part that's crazy to me, that's really crazy, Captain. And this is from this is from the comic book people. This is from you know when Bill Maher takes a hot defecation on comic book culture, right? This stuff mm-hmm. isn't really about comic books anymore. Now we're reaching that singularity. 
that uh, Raymond mm-hmm. Kurtz, that uh, Raymond Kurtzwell, Ray Kurtzwell talked about. Queen's own Ray Kurtzwell talked about something about Queens and intelligence. Anyway, so <laughs> <laughs> so so what makes it okay, weird? Nas. <laughs> but well, hey, well, not look. You, Nas has his own uh, investment uh, technology firm, doesn't he? <laughs> it is what it is. Mm-hmm. Even 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 from uh, Queensbridge, I think it has. I think it's what called Queensbridge Venture Venture Capital. That's the mm-hmm. name of the company. He knows something. Yes, uh, Fifty Cent, another Queens resident, told him, "Why you should? You, you, what are you reading for? It's not going to help you out to, to, to do rap. Stop that reading stuff." Wow. Anyway, I guess the part and we'll close out here. The part that that kind of um, intrigues me is that this is just one of a number of things working in tandem. So now you have the potential for, for a kind of super humanity, or, or the code word now is augmented. You know, it's augmented reality, but there's also augmented humanity. So you have augmented humanity working in tandem with artificial intelligence. Also working in tandem, talking about DNA, they're also looking – to go backwards in time, bring to bring back the woolly mammoth, that's also feasible. You know, you, we're, we're still sending probes out to Mars. I mean, there's so many things going on at the same time. Then, then there's also uh, the, the idea of man merging with machine and cy- and b- being cyborgs. So I have no idea. All this stuff that we, we you would think was just kind of just fantasy. Is getting really close to reality. I've seen the pictures of these guys and women uh, creating androids doing push-ups, waking up in the morning. Have you seen this stuff? The actual, oh, yeah. the, the engineering of these robots running. They showed a robot actually able to, you know, do uh, what is that? What is that? Uh, they even did a movie. Um, you know, when you're able to run through the streets, and it looks like kind of like it's like a combination of karate, like you're able to run, run through the streets effortlessly. And, parkour. And you're, parkour, right? They, 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 they're kind of you're kind of seeing androids kind of having that ability a little bit. And this is we're at the beginnings of this, or, or rather, what we're allowed to see, because already we're seeing some stuff that these robots are doing that are a little bit. Dare I say, un- uncanny, and all deference to our own uncanny. It's, it's, we're getting this. Is, this stuff is going on, along with augmented humanity. That's it's going down. Anyway, we, we will be revisiting this. Hopefully, this scientist turns up. There's speculation he's he's imprisoned in a Chinese cell, or like you said, maybe they brought him over, like we brought over those uh, those Nazi scientists. After World War II, to work for mm-hmm. us, you don't know. I have no idea. All right, so let's 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 get out. Let's get off of, of this. Even though it's, this is a real, this could, this could have been a, a fantasy story, but not fantasy. That's the irony. Is what what we would think to be fantasy is actually reality. So I was I was just thinking. I'm always thinking about this kind of stuff since comic books are the rage and comic book stories are the rage. I'm going to go back to um, to the uncanny on this one. So I've mentioned mentioned some of this stuff here and there on air, 
about some stories that I think should be explored or some storylines or some story ideas. So, Daryl, I mean, what, what you can think of off the top of your head, um, what, stories would you, what stories would you like to see explored that have not been explored in comic books? Whatever, whatever house you can think of, whatever you know, Marvel, DC, uh, Image, whatever. Your thoughts? Well, well, we're, we're seeing it, and, and again, this is why I tell people you don't have to go to the big two for this stuff. Yeah, you, know, you, you see what Image is doing, you see what Dark Horse is doing, you see what Black Mask is doing, Ahoy Comics, even Millar's imp- what's Millar's imprint for Miller World. You know, they're taking stories where the big two don't feel safe in going in certain areas. These places are taking you there. You know, hell, I, I mean, I brought up Black Mask, Calzix, or Calexit, or Calexit. You know, they explored that. They're getting ready to go back into that universe where, hey, California seceded from the, uh, seceded from the United States. Because of the political climate, you know, I, I mean, nowhere in like the last 20 years would you have thought of something like that. Black Mask Studios, again, black, a world where black and brown people have superpowers, white people don't, and it's like a literal arms race, you know, the, this new breed of creator that's coming up is taking stories and going, okay, we're going here with it, we're going here with it, we're going here with it, and now it's incumbent on Marvel and DC. They're going there. Let's experiment with our characters. Sure, the stories like Heroes in Crisis, and you see Civil War, and you've got Identity Crisis, and we had Secret Empire. Some people are going to like it, some people are going to loathe it, but it's better than being that 1950s, you know, oh, golly gee whiz, and oh, all the toys are back to perfect condition when we put them back in the box. I mean, I want more of that. Like, tell you the truth right now, if you look at, at DC, all right, I may not agree with Tom King and everything he's doing in Heroes in Crisis, but he is raising up some very valid points about superheroes and PTSD. You know, what, what effects do these battles, do these beatdowns, do some of the horrors on a cosmic and even a personal scale have on superheroes? We, we totally trust these guys and gals to protect us, but what effect is it having on them personally? Are they, at a point, are they at a point where they're going to snap and turn on us? They're supposed to be our protectors. You know, that's, 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 just one, uh, that's just one. There's a bunch more, you know. But uh, let me see. With Marvel, pay attention to the Marvel Knights, the 20th anniversary thing. They're doing something a little bit off the beaten scale where essentially the world has amnesia. So the heroes have amnesia. 
so no one can remember except for a selective few, and even then it's vague about what was their past life. What, what, what are we doing here? See, these are the stories that I want to see more of. You know, take a chance. You got, you got four to 12 issues. Take a chance telling it, you know. And I will say it this way, okay? Things changed in the last 15, 20 years where you're getting some of these tales being told where you didn't expect it to come from these properties, okay? I, I said it constantly. I didn't see Flintstones coming. I thought, oh, my God, it's going to be Flintstones. Oh, oh, oh. Who knew that Mark Russell would turn Flintstones into one of the most biting social commentaries ever, ever? I, I, guys, DC, Hanna-Barbera partnership, look up Flintstones. Get what he did with that. They commented on economic and social ills. They commented on racism. They commented on war. They, co- they commented on manifest destiny. They commented on political spin. And this was in a Flintstones book. So, like, I, we, we did see that coming. Did not see that. And me as a comic book fan, you know, when I see this stuff and it shocks me, I will get on Twitter one time and go like, hey, creators, bloody good show. Oh, my God, I did not see that coming. Or, oh, my God, what are you doing to me? Or, like, I'm expecting a normal comic book, and you're hitting me with this. Tom King. Tom King is doing Batman, all right? He, he's doing the Batman storylines right now. But if you had the pleasure to pick up his Omega Men, or even for Marvel, his vision, you see, he took superheroics, and he went a far left turn, like, yeah, you thought this was what this book was going to be? I'm going to show you something right now. And just led the readers on this journey where you may not agree with everything he did, but at the end, you're like, oh, my God, this gave me something to think about. And honestly... That's all as readers we hope for. Now, personally, I'd love to see stuff like the Haitian Revolution in comics. I'd love to see more about that. I'd love to see more of civil rights, but away from Malcolm X and Martin Luther King and stuff like that, some of the other stories. Like similar, Doctor Who did the Rosa Parks episode. I guarantee outside of like, Civil rights diehards, no one knew that much about Rosa Parks' life. Certainly not the British, but they did a, a fundamentally good episode, which had you, oh, my God, I have to read more about this story. She wasn't just, hey, that lady didn't get up and give up her seat on the bus. <laughs> she was more than that, which have the ability to do. They could take stuff from the everyday and enlighten and grow, and tell, and, and, and hell, this is part of the reason why I'm saying we have this movie boon with all of these great comic books, all right? And I'll throw in History of Violence. I'll throw in, you know, there's stuff 
that are comic book movies that you guys don't even realize are comic books that they've done. I would really like to see Incognito get to the, uh, be made a movie. You know, hell, I, I, I'm not going to get into Green Book. We're going to skip over that. But, you know, Incognito, honestly, Brian Edward Hill right now has American Carnage out right now. That could be a great companion book to this because Incognito, the past, American Carnage, an alternate look of reality now. But, oh, my God, the, the stuff is getting touched on as a black man that passes for white joins white supremacists undercover. What a mind. <laughs> Seriously. Like, who thinks of doing stuff like this? Brian Edward Hill did. And it's, the first issue was enthralling. You know? But sorry to be long-winded here. It's just when people outside hide Bill Maher, you, when people outside want to pigeonhole comic books into this one box or comic book movies peg or when they try to contain it and they don't realize the power and the opportunity and the, the space for infinite storytelling that they have in their hands. That pisses me off. So, like, you're seeing all of these indie creators come up with stories all across the spectrum. You're seeing all of these groups uh, get get exposure, be able to tell their stories on page, on screen, using heroes, using everyday people. This as a medium. It's a medium. It's not a genre. You can tell any sort of stories through comic books. And, uh, and and associated media. It's just people get hung up. Oh my God! Oh, it's another superhero fight. Oh, this it's for kids. Oh, oh, can't believe it. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> I'll leave with this. If I looked you dead in the eye, told you Immortal Hulk was the best horror comic on the stands right now. Five years ago, you would laugh. But if you read it, and you read what Al Ewing's doing with it, you'd go, oh, my God. Oh, he went there with, oh, my God. Comics is a medium where the infinite is possible. Back to you, Afrin. Yeah, um... You you really you really put out a lot there to chew on, Daryl. As I would expect, I wouldn't expect anything less from you. So I'm going to try to be brief because I think you and I can go toe to toe with i with ideas, like <laughs> just ideas. So uh, as you were talking, I said, okay, let me expand it a little bit because there's some things that are ongoing that are actually in the works that have yet to we, yet to meet fruition. So or make fruition. So um, Confederate. I think our friend Q Storm even we were we were a little bit less um, less critical of it, only to say, okay, let's see what they're going to work with on this. If you remember, Confederate is an HBO series, a proposed HBO series coming in after Game of Thrones, that is an alternate history story 
that proposes what happened what would happen if the uh outcome of the civil war had been different so right away i think Bruce rain and jamie broadnax those names came out as taking uh, taking a high profile um stance against this this being under consideration and i think they brought in some black writers i don't know if that was already in the works but they made that known um, I think it's still in the works. I, don't, I think at one time it might have been in limbo. Now it, it might still be on track. I'm curious. Before I dump on it, I think we can't get away from the black story also being explored through alternate history fiction. Amazon, I believe, is also having a similar thing that might be a little bit more um, – uh, a, a, a lot, a lot more interesting as far as dealing with alternate history during the postbellum period. So, but anyway, I'm still looking out for HBO's Confederate. That's one thing that's actually in the works. So I'm going to mix in some comic book stuff and other stuff. Some of the stuff is probably going to be on repeat that I've mentioned anecdotally just in conversation here at Afroner. Um, going back into successfully, Marvel going needs to go back into the Supreme Power Universe. You know, we've we seen them revisit uh, Marvel's version of the Justice League uh, for, actually for the last 40, almost 50 years, starting from the uh, uh, Squadron Sinister and then now Supreme Power. But, it, but to me, the best version of it was um, J. Michael Straczynski's Supreme Power. And they, they, they just kind of left that series hanging, his, his original iteration of it. Uh, J. Michael Straczynski did another series that took the longest to kind of come to a conclusion, but I think that world could still be explored. Matter of fact, I'm wondering if that world still – if that world, if those heroes are still coexisting with the present heroes that we know in Marvel. I'm going to open up Daryl's uh, mic. The Twelve. You know that 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 series. It was a twelve-part series. It took like the like a, I think maybe a couple of years. There was a, we went on hiatus or something happened, and then like, he finally finished up like the last two or three issues. Uh, Jade Michael Straczynski's Twelve, where it dealt with go- it dealt with Golden Age heroes that essentially were um, were contemporaries of Captain America, and they too were frozen in time and then they were they were rediscovered and reanimated like 80 years later but their stories were darker than captain america's stories dow do you know if they if if those heroes kind of sort of still exist in the mainstream marvel canon oh but i would say for those heroes again i'll bring up dynamite con Check out Dynamite Comics Project Super, where uh, guys like Jay and, and uh, Daniel Sham and and uh, Black Terror, uh, Alex, Alex Ross, yeah, those, those that are being told with Project Super and and the the Dynamite uh, uh, pulp hero book. Apologies for repeating it, but I really dig this particular topic, and I think it's something – this is just pure indulgence, self-indulgence. Um, 
Also, I've mentioned Bath Low Island. Bath Low Island. Now, what is, what is Bath with a V? V A T H L O. Bath Low Island was kind of a one off mentioning going back, I don't know, 40 plus years maybe, 30, 35, 40 years ago in a, in a Superman comic book that in, to, to explain to explain the existence of black Kryptonians. And it, it, it just goes to show you, even back then, even when, when comic books, you know, Marvel has done this too, but DC, this is like a glaring blind spot. It's one thing to talk to, to revisit Franklin, uh, Charles Schultz's Franklin sitting by himself, you know, during a, a, a cartoon, right? That's a side issue, a, a non-troversy. But it's another thing that again to address the idea that Tan was a multiracial culture, what they did is they said, "Oh yeah, the black Kryptonian stayed on on an island, so they were kind of separate on Krypton, the planet Krypton, but they had their they they had their own Harlem, <laughs> so to speak, their own Harlem, and it was called Bath Low Island." So uh, you have Val Zod, but of course Val Zod is, an, is, is uh, from a different Earth. But or is he? Yeah, he's from a different Earth. He's from a different. That's, he's from a different Earth, right? Uh, right, Daryl. Yeah, or rather, a different two. different universe. It, like, it, he's not from the same. He's not from the same Krypton. I guess it was Earth two. They've done a lot of effery with it. We're not even still there uh, from what, what they I'm, – I'm hoping just when they quote-unquote thing that they instituted and, – and the only one we know that's alive for sure is Power Girl. Why? Because during the Deathstroke, the uh, Lazarus contracting – uh, the black power girl meet power girl in some sort of in universe thing. So that's given me hope that somewhere to Alzad and Justice Society and that that's somehow still alive. Well, the, well, the, the reason why I mention this is because you know we always talk about Earth being the alternate universe, but there's got to be that means there must mean there's an alternate Krypton then. This is not the same Krypton that Kal El comes from. I mean, that the Kal El that we know. This is this is Valzad still comes from a different Krypton. We always think of it. We always think of it in terms of a different Earth. But this got this really means that it's also a different Krypton he's coming from. Well, that's that's where I tell everybody that wasn't paying attention whenever these crossovers are going to visit. Uh, this universe, when you go, and go like, well, Rip Hunter said there are 50 universes plus Earth X, that's the Nazi-run universe. Each one has their own Supergirl. I would deposit to me each one has their own time. So there's 53 of them. There you go. All right. All right. So anyway. So I'm not going to cut it, you know, but I'm just thinking some of the things out loud. So, again, 
uh, and I've said this before, I, I, I will intermix with, with the race thing because I think if you address race in modern comic books, it's interesting. It, you know, look, there's been so many stories, Daryl. I mean, I'm, and sometimes they go, they, they, there's such a dearth of ideas. Uh, and I say in quotes, allegedly, there's a dearth of ideas. But when you mix, but when you actually uh, get into the into the diversity angle, you explore a lot of stories that are just downright interesting, as opposed to being absurd. Matter of fact, if you actually inject, and this is my opinion, but when you start to inject ethnicity, race, all these other things, cultures, you 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 get away from things being corny. Because so every once in a while, you see when they start to do something, they start to explore something different. In comic books, they'd rather explore something absurd than explore something that might deal with with kind of a racial element. So again, um, even the Val Zod thing. Joe Morton, the the, the 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 noted actor that's in God Friended Me, and also he was in he was in uh, uh, Justice League, and in Batman vs Superman. Uh, Joe Morton, I think one of his earlier films was called Brother from Another Planet. So um, it would have been interesting to that, – that's kind of a way of exploring Val Zod, the way I would want to see a Val Zod story. Like, like why not explore that cat as a – sure, he's alien. He doesn't really know about the concept of race in theory. But now he's, he's still a black-looking alien walking around with all these superpowers. How does that exactly work? They, they they never really they don't know they don't know what's up with DC but they don't that's like an obvious thing that's an obvious bl- blind spot that might that might be of interest to the that would be interesting to see. Well, again, one depends on the writer. Writers in Rob Jeffrey, who's next over there, and, and Edward Hill, who are with American Carnage, you know. Have the there, right? That absorbs Marvel, you know. Hell, hey, Brian Michael Bendis, Miles Morales, okay, and he has his class in spite of into the first trailer. I'm hearing, I'm hearing. Okay, go ahead. Okay, all right. No, go ahead. That was, I thought that was you. That was actually Captain moving around. Okay, right. go ahead. The Into the Spider-Verse trailer was the most Spanish I've ever heard Miles Morales speak. And the Afro-Latino, you know, where he's at desk with earphones in his ear. Oh, my God, I'm late for school. The mom speaking to him in Spanish. The dad speaking to him in English as he's and going out, he's greeting everybody in the neighborhood as he's, he's dropping street lingo, English and Spanish all at the same time, heading to, uh, and and that's what essentially the sneak peek slash trailer shows that he's doing. It is powerful to see yourself get represented on, I'm not Latino, I'm Afro-American, I loved it. You know, that's the type of thing when we say representation, when we say the dreaded diversity word, when we say inclusion, it's stuff like that, okay? And that's why I keep on bringing up 
guys like Ahoy Comics, like Black Mastodon, you know, all of these, uh, uh, Catalyst Prime, uh, Valiant, Dark Horse, Image, all of these outlets now where you're getting comic creators from different uh, backgrounds, different uh, ethnicity, different ethnicity. disabilities, mm-hmm. you know, more flavor of stories. And as these guys grow up, as these gals grow up in, in the business and Marvel and DC take notice of them, oh, my God, here's a new for Superman. Oh, my God, here's a new pitch for Superman. Oh, my God, here's a new Batman pitch. Hell, if not for Brian Edward Hill, I would only see one black man in the Batman universe. <laughs> Sorry, Bat fans, but your your universe lily white for the law outside of out of Rachel Ghoul and his and his uh his but every chance they get them as white as possible it it's that sort of thing that we we rail against and 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 we're saying not that the old characters Bad, but it sent the world that's around us now. There's nothing wrong with getting new stories, new directions if they're done correctly. There you go. Uh, I, I, we have a caller. I, I don't know if it's Q Storm. It's a, a New Jersey number. I'll bring him. I'll bring him or her in in a moment. Um, just, uh, just, I'm just again. I just want to get some things out. So. Uh, so yeah, definitely. I mean, some some of the the racial elements, and even you had me thinking. Even with even with the Batman storyline, you know, Batman fights crime, and I, I understand. Uh, I don't know how reasonable it is, but you know this that it, it has been said many times that well, you know, you don't want to you don't want to go into like a stereotyping kind of thing, where Batman is this wealthy white guy beating up on black and brown criminals, and you don't want to you don't want to have it where it's, it's looking as a stereotype criminalized element but at the same time Gotham is supposed to be a a analog for New York City or you know we could say any major metropolitan city but Gotham is a is is another name for New York City literally and i think even Gotham the tv series is filmed here so you would they need they, they even in the batman canon there needs to be more diverse villains Heroes. I mean, there's a few things. You, know, you have Renee Montoya. Um, they had uh, what's his name, C- Crispin, who ended up ended up becoming. Um, uh, Daryl, help me with this. He ended up becoming the uh, the Spectre. Spectre. Right. Christmas so. Allen. Yeah. So yeah, Christmas Allen. So there's some diversity, but they they it's it's not really. They could they could do a lot better. Same thing. Same thing with Metropolis. Metropolis is again another version of New York City that's not really that diverse. And they have. Look, I had a T-shirt made recently, uh, "Curious Black," that dates back to what 1970 or something. And it was again, it was it was an awkward thing, but it but it did address rather directly Superman in the hood, you know. But it was it, it was awkward. Lois Lane goes uh, goes uh, uh, undercover as a black woman through some technology, a pre-CRISPR technology, 
becomes a black woman, and and because stereotypically black folks couldn't relate to a physical white woman, she became a sister overnight. And then even she had confronted Superman and said, well, would you date me like this? And he said, well, no big deal. I'm an alien anyway. And he says, yeah, but you appear white, though. So even then, they were kind of going, they were kind of trying to address certain things as a storyline that I don't see them really addressing anymore. Whatever happened to uh, to um, Lois Lane's sister's husband, Ron Troop, who was an African-American co-worker? He just disappeared. You know, I, what's going on? I mean, there's, there's, there's a number of – go ahead, Daryl. And that's what – for all those people who uh, – oh, we want more, we want more, I have to go out. Avoid Marvel. Avoid if you really want that, I several comic book companies. There's about a more. I, I'd even Stevie ears. I didn't touch on white comics. I didn't or universe. There are a bunch of companies explore variation themes. Use Thor for this from Batman and and oh my God, they're gonna have to do it. Hey, it's 33 years of my I'm ready to move out. Okay, you're kind of breaking up. You're kind of breaking up there, unfortunately. Uh, let's go to a caller because you're kind of, you're kind of breaking in and out, Daryl. Your your um your audio is going in and out a little bit. Um, hold on, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring you back, but your audio is kind of screwing up. Um, let's go to 201. 201. Welcome to the midweek. Tell us who you are, where you're calling from. Is this Q Storm? It's Q Storm. You know I'm by. You know I'm. By coastal or by I'm work the uh, New Jersey to DC circuit. Okay, I didn't wreck it. Uh, yeah. Okay. What's up, man? It's my, it's my cell phone. Uh, <clears throat> two things. I, I wanted to correct one one thing you uh, and I I had wrong all this time. You said that uh, that Metropolis was an analog for New York, and I thought it was all this time too, until I went to uh, Toronto a couple months ago. Which is the home of uh, Siegel and Schuster, and Metropolis is based on Toronto. Mm. I had no idea about that. I, I I don't know if that's completely. I'm not saying that that might be one. I mean, there's been a, a, many versions of what Metropolis <laughs> and Gotham represent. Well, I, I'll put it this way: because, one of because the, I've, one I've, of the two, one of the two people, one of the two guys, they worked for the Toronto Sun, and that's. They worked for. They were a newspaper reporter for the Toronto Sun, and that's why they. That's how they came up with the character of Clark Kent. Mm-hmm. So I think there's some truth to it. I think what it is is the Richard Donner Superman. We saw Superman flying by the uh, Statue of Liberty with Lois Lane, and that's why I, I just assumed it was um, an analog for New York. But look it up. I'm pretty sure that's that's uh, that's fact. Look, I mean, cause look, I, I, we'll uh, bring our resident. We'll bring our resident uh, uh, eidetic person here. But I, I recollect seeing quite a few. Um, periodicals that alluded to Metropolis is New York in the daytime, Gotham is New York in the nighttime. I mean, no, the, the, no. the New York, the New York connection to Metropolis. I mean, I mean, you know, Metropolis has been likened to New York just as a term. Same thing with Gotham. But I mean, no, go ahead. Well, I'm, I'm just, listen. Well, I'm just telling well, you what they told me when I when I took the tour. 
of the city of Toronto, they were very proud of saying that Siegel and Schuster were Toronto natives, and they based Clark Kent on uh, their days as newspaper reporters. And um, based on the Toronto, the Daily Planet was an analog for the Toronto Sun. Yep. And, Who knows? And, and, okay. and, and there's truth to what what uh, Q said. That, but I I say three years ago when they read that is. Uh, BC explained it like this. Gotham is an analog for Chicago. Okay? Freaking mm. Metropolis. Metropolis is an analog for Manhattan. And yes, there's a separate New York in the DC universe. So, LA City is to Washington D.C. and would flash. Central City and thing that's up that's the Twin Cities that's Minneapolis so huh. so that's that's the way they did it see the problem is they created all these fantasy cities all right patent with real cities but the real cities are still there too <laughs> right. so, hey, that, so no, let me tell you I'm sorry. well I'm, you know I'm what let me let me let me let me get the correction on this because I'm you know I'm not saying Houston is is wrong. I'm just telling you that I've also seen the connection there, and I think we're both right. It says here, as he just said, creator and original artist of Superman, Joe Schuster, modeled the Metropolis skyline after Toronto, where he was born and lived until he was ten. Since then, however, the look and feel of Metropolis has been greatly influenced by New York City. You have to remember that uh, comic book. You know, the, the superhero genre, the publishing wing, industry of comic books, Marvel or DC, is in New York, especially 19, late 1930s, all New York. DC just recently moved out West Coast. Anyway. Well, okay. I, I'm just telling you, I, I, next time I'm in Toronto, I will inform the hop-on, hop-off bus tour guide that she's wrong. <laughs> okay. No, well, uh, the see, it does want... say it does say that Schuster, I mean, like you said, you know, it does make the Toronto connection, but it also says that yeah. New York is in there. I mean, but like Daryl said, we're all right. We're all three are right from different angles. This is the, the issue I have with DC. DC has been these, yeah. these these fake cities, Central City, Keystone City. I mean, you know, they're corny too. Star it's City corny. It is corny. Go ahead. But, um... You know, once they stole Superman from the the two guys, and I guess that's when it became New York. Anyway, um, the second thing is that you guys were talking about Val Zod and how you would love to see how they need to do uh, explore a black Superman or a black superhero or someone who takes on the look of a black person. I got uh, all props to Supergirl. They've been doing this and they've been doing this since season one with uh, Martian Manhunter. Yep. Okay. Uh, what's his name? Uh, John Jones. And I'm waiting for the episode where, I mean, there was an episode uh, in season two, I think, where Kara's uh, dad, the guy who played Superman on Adventures of Lois and Clark, I forget his name, Dean Kane. Right. In that arc where um, I had some, oh, they explored John's past, and he oh, said yeah. he chose to live as a black man. I don't forget what his reason was, but I'm waiting for the episode where he says, I'm tired of this and tries to live as a white man. And see, it, you know, that would be interesting to me if he finally said, you know what, I'm done with this crap. 
I've tried it. I don't like it. And then he has a redemption arc where he goes back to being the John Jones we've seen all this time. The, the only but reason why I doubt, the only reason why I doubt they would do that current season, especially, it would be somewhat redundant. Yeah, he's got no, he, yeah, he don't have much to do anymore. No, I'm saying the storyline for this season is so much about difference and uh, the, uh, the, immig- the immigration. I mean, it, it's an analog. I, I overuse the word analog. But it's, it's an analog for what's happening right now in the current zeitgeist. It, clearly, it's, it's a critique of what's happening in America with the Bush administration and even their president. I think Perry King plays a president now after, after um, uh, Linda Carter was outed as an alien. So the whole thing about prejudice towards aliens, now they have it where aliens of, of varied planetary origin. Are the are are the immigrants that we know coming from Mexico essentially? So all this is going on right now. So to come to you know him being black versus white is kind of it would be redundant because the entire storyline for this season has been about these aliens not being accepted, being rounded rounded up, uh, kind of this this, this Klansman esque version that this this group you know that's by, by that's by Major Liberty. It, it would be kind of redundant. They're kind of exploring that right now. I'm just saying, in my opinion. Well, I just want to say, first of all, thank you for because when I was watching last uh, Sunday's episode, I was like, the guy playing the president. I know that guy, Perry King. That's who it is. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so, second thing is that I I read an article and I forget some very progressive publication online that conservatives are just not at all happy with this season of Supergirl, even though you did a whole show where you felt like um, uh, Agent Liberty represented that sect of American. They did a whole show based on Agent Liberty and his origin. Hold on, Q-Storm. Hold on, Q-Storm. I, I just, I just got to tell Africa something. Now you see why you don't go to the caller before you go to everybody that you have on staff. Continue caller. Continue going. All right? Oh, I, I, I can, I, I'll see the floor. I, I'll, I'll give up the floor. No, what happened? Keep now? going, because you're onto something else now. Keep going. Keep going. Oh. Keep going. Well, I was just, gonna, I was just going to say that um, uh, they, they don't like the transgender character. They don't like um, I forget the other. There was some other element they didn't like. Uh, they don't like the the woman that the strong woman that's coming into the D, DEO. Is that it? Right, right, right. And I Black forget woman. the other. But they they're finding a lot of reasons why this is a very this progressive show. They're not very happy with it. Well, we spoke about this clearly. I mean, we 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 um, had a whole show about the discomfort that many fans. Like I actually said, how much I liked. The show because what happened it was a specific episode that humanized that humanized the quote unquote Trump so the Midwestern Trump supporters perspective was somewhat humanized a few weeks ago via small uh, Smallville <laughs> via Supergirl so uh, that was the reason why some a, a certain segment of the progressive fan base did not like that so you have progressives that didn't like it when it was giving the conservative point of view or the reasoning why this 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 kind of hatred of these aliens but all of it is subtext for what's happening now so but we we covered this issue a few weeks ago because the story the story's been out there i i can see why 
they have a problem with it, only because to, to me, it's a little telegraphed. It's not, you know, I like things to be a, little, a lot more subtle. It's not subtle. It's hitting you with a, a sledgehammer, the connection between Trump administration and what, how, the, how it's playing out on Supergirl. But anyway, it is what it is. Um, what were you talking about? <laughs> I, think, I think this is what the captain is talking about. I, we, were, we were into, uh, oh, yeah, the, dif- the different versions of um, the different storylines that we, we have yet to see or we'd like to see. As uh, certain stories that should be explored, fantasy stories that I think should be explored. Heck, I think um, to Daryl, whatever happened to Robbie Robertson and his son? Thinking again, I'm just thinking of being. Hey, Absolutely, You forgot that I'm on the show here. Did you forget that? Oh, that's no, what you, I was saying to you. That's sorry, what no, I was I, saying to you. You understand? Your, if you talk, I, okay. then you go to Daryl, then you go to me, then you go to the caller. It flows smooth. Okay. You, you got all over the place. Yeah. You got all over the place. You understand? It's real easy. That's all you have okay. to remember. Okay. You Go ahead. And we're good. Your mic, you know, your, your mic was kind of screwing up. Your mic was kind of screwing up. No, that, that's irrelevant. That was that's irrelevant that the mic is screwing up. It threw, it threw that's me irrelevant. Off. No, no, that's the way you operate, Alphonse. My, my apologies. That's the way you I, can, operate. I, can take the, I can take the hit. My apologies. Man stuff. Now, let's move on to something else, though. We've been talking now, about that for the last 40 minutes. But your, <laughs> okay, but what do you want to, stories that were explored? Well, it's three stories. It's real easy. Invaders, all right? World War II version with the original Human Torch. The Patriot, all right? Black Captain America. Also, Prince Neymar, because he's an arrogant yeah. bastard. That's it. Real simple. Let's move on. <laughs> All right. We got about seven minutes remaining, so uh, let's try to get it in. All right. This is something quick um, that we didn't, you know, we didn't really discuss. Uh, Facebook purportedly has a black problem. Now we've been hearing about the, you know, black and brown folk not necessarily um, having a lot of play at Facebook, but now there's a gentleman that uh, has left the company, and he wrote this memo about what he says bluntly is a Facebook problem. I think they actually took down the memo. But I think Facebook has a number of problems centered around race. One is their damn algorithm. Like, uh, they, they make an equal, the algorithm picks up equally. I don't think this is what he considers a, uh, a black problem, but I see it as a black problem because it's been put out there before. Is uh, something that, let's say, white power versus black power. The terms. Black power is not not necessarily perceived as a shout out to racial superiority versus white power because you've had white participants in the black power movement now how does it, how does that happen no one really talks about that but you've had like, let me repeat again you have not just white people you've had people of varied ethnicity that were not black people but were Rap were wholesale involved in black power movement. So when it, when you do something that has some kind of reference to black culture, specifically black culture, black power, whatever, Facebook shuts you down, just as they would just as they would shut down a white power thing. So that's just one kind of easy, quote unquote, black problem thing. 
But this gentleman, Mark Lucky, Mark Lucky was a Facebook manager. And, you know, as he left the company, he wrote this like 25 or 2600 word, I don't know how you would describe it, like just this whole sermon. Really talking about that they have a they 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 have like a, a black people problem. I'm going to read this quickly and I'm going to go around the horn. Facebook's disenfranchisement of black people. This is from what this is what he writes specifically, Mr. Lucky. Facebook's disenfranchisement of black people on the platform mirrors the marginalization of its black employees. In my time at the company, I've heard far too many stories from black employees of a colleague or manager calling them hostile or aggressive for simply sharing their thoughts in a manner not dissimilar from their non-black team members. A few black employees have reported being specifically dissuaded by their managers from being active in the internal black group or doing black stuff, even if it happens outside of work hours. Too many black employees can recount stories of being aggressively accosted by campus security beyond what was necessary. On a personal note, at least two or three times a day, every day, a colleague at MPK, which is the Facebook headquarters in Menlo Park, will look directly at me and tap or hold their wallet or shove their hands down their pocket to clutch it tightly until I pass. The frequency is even higher when walking through classic campus or building 20. To feel like an oddity at your own place of employment because of the color of your skin, while passing posters reminding you to be your authentic self feels in itself inauthentic. All right, this is what he blew up the spot. So let's go to the captain, since I, my earlier faux pas. What um, <clears throat> what are your what are your thoughts about what he's saying? Well, real easy. Why didn't prohibition work here in America? Because the people wanted their alcohol. Doesn't work, right? What do we know about white people? White people like racism covertly. Overtly, they don't like it. Most of them, not all. Most of them, not all. Most of them, not all. They'll run with lights, like the roaches with lights on, when you shine the light on their particular racism. So this stuff doesn't go away, being that they're 72%. We make up 12 to 14% here in America. The workplace mirrors, it's not supposed to, but it mirrors exactly that, what's happening throughout everything else in respect with black and white here in America. And from time to time, the light gets shined on it, and everyone starts running. But that's what's happening. As long as it's covert, it's not a problem. They got a problem with it overtly. That's why we have this racism here in this America, because that people want it covertly, hence white flight and anything else like that, which the liberals will say is all social economics. If it's social economics, if I'm moving into your neighborhood, and it's a $60,000 house at the given time, and a black person could move in there and pay for the $60,000 house. Why are you moving away? It's all social economics. You see what I'm saying? It just mirrors that stuff right there. Next person. Let's go. Dow, your impressions of what this young man is talking about? Again, he leaves the company, Mr. Lucky, leaves the company, has this manifesto, taking a metaphysical dump on Facebook about these black issues. Facebook is a modern – Facebook is in Sears. Does Facebook is is less than a was a ten year old company? So what what a twelve year old something like that? So what what's what are your thoughts about what he's saying? You seen it with you seen it with seen it with Facebook. You seen it with Instagram. Black or brown 
or yellow, the yellowed or tanned people. So you're having all these guys making and and oh, with this, with with who? Who are you to say this? Mike is crazy. This? I know that, that that that's part of the distraction for me, Captain. Me, I'll just share. But go ahead. Sorry, I'm here. Sorry about I'm that. not making excuses, but that's what's going on with me. I'm sorry, Darryl, go ahead. Right. Your, your mic is like crazy. <laughs> All right. Well, let's say it like this a little bit. If we're not in the room, don't speak for us. Don't have people in the room and don't have our stock properly told. Okay? As a result, you know, a lot of our stand, all of this alt-right and, and not goes unchecked that because we're not in the room. Next. All right. Uh, we got the close shot there. Sorry about that, Daryl. Your mic was just, you know, it was rough. Um, again, 20 seconds remaining. Uh, as always, Q-Storm, we appreciate you coming through. Uh, we'll be back at it again on Sunday per usual, 6 p.m. Uh, sticking with the Christmas theme, Regrettably, <laughs> it's that time, folks. This is Nat King Cole, um, the Christmas song, Chestnuts Roasting and all that jazz. We'll be back on Sunday, 6 p.m. It's been real. Chestnuts Roasting an open fire Jack Frost nipping at your nose Yuletide carols being sung by choir and folks dressed up like Eskimos Everybody knows Turkey and some mistletoe Help to make the season bright Tiny tots with their eyes all aglow Will find it hard to sleep tonight They know that sad Many ways.